welcome to Woman Up, the podcast series by Desperate Art Wives. Today I'm speaking with Martina Mulani. Martina is Fine Arts Programme Leader at University of Bolton. Uh, after the birth of her daughter in 2009, she started the movement Enemies of Good Art. She has a PhD at the University of Reading, which was looking at the missing mother in the canon that is feminism and art history. And her practice challenges established forms of art on maternity. Hello, Martina. Hi, Susan. Hi, nice to talk to you. And you, thank you for inviting me on. You're very welcome. Um, just before we came on air, you were reminding me that you uh, had a quite a few sessions uh, over quite, over a couple of years on resonance radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listened to one specific uh, session yesterday on paternity and creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered if you could tell me a bit about what led you to that moment. Was that with your work, um, Enemies of Good Art? Paternity and creativity. Well, we thought we might include men in the, in the conversation. Uh, not that I particularly wanted to at the time because I was a raging young single <laughs> mother. Um, no, I wasn't young, but I was a young mother, a first time mother. My daughter was young, but um, I had uh, I started Enemies of Good Art because uh, I felt that my practice somehow was coming to a bit of a standstill after I'd had my daughter and not because of my creativity, because all of a sudden the art world felt like a hostile place. And uh, Enemies of Good Art um, uh, became this thing that critiqued the spaces that made it difficult for us to enter now that we had children. And uh, when I talk about us, I'm talking about mothers because, let's face it, um, I'm sure like uh, 10 years later, it's no different. It's mostly women that uh, burden the responsibility of childcare. So the series of, of broadcasts you're talking about, uh, Enemies of Good Art on Resonance 104.4 FM, went out on a Friday afternoon. And for a year and a half, we recorded conversations, live discussions in the studio with uh, a range of women that were known, that were unknown psychologists. Um, we did a program on psychoanalysis. We looked at sociology. We looked at our practice for women who didn't have children, who did have children. We talked to women about when was a good time to have a baby. Uh, we talked to women who had babies. These are all artists. And this is just off the top of my head. The first um, broadcast was titled, Let's Not Talk About Mary Kelly, because when you talk about maternity, or definitely 10 years ago when I started this, uh, the only artist that anybody seemed to quote or make reference to was Mary Kelly in reference to a postpartum document, which is an amazing piece of work, but it's not the only and wasn't the only work on maternity. So we did include that piece on paternity. Um Purely to see if we could have the conversation. It was difficult to get uh, men into the studio. And I was being accused of being sexist at the time. But I didn't really care because I was a woman struggling. And lots of other women I were meeting were struggling too. And quite frankly, if men wanted to have the conversation about their art practices declining, they could get together in groups and do so. But they didn't need to because their careers weren't declining like ours were. Or certainly they didn't seem to be meeting the obstacles that we as women were. I am. Um, that's completely what I picked up during listening to the chat yesterday, because I, I, I was drawn to it only because um, doing these podcasts where I, the podcast is for women and we only interview women. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people asking me about uh, men's experiences um, and Amy has the same doing des- running Desperate Art Wives. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I think men do need to be involved in the conversations mm. uh, around childcare because if they don't, then maybe things will never change. But listening to the conversation yesterday, um, I have to say I, I laughed out loud quite a few times because, um, firstly, the, they, the, the, the men that you were speaking to didn't really seem, um, they were frightened, really frightened initially to say how hard it was. And then eventually they were kind of opening up and saying, yeah, it's really hard. And then also they started opening up and saying that they weren't really at home most of the time and they were still going out working and they were still doing, they were still doing their thing. So I wasn't quite, like, oh, okay, that's interesting. You've, you know, that you've come on the show to talk about stopping your careers for childcare, but they hadn't really. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was, it was interesting. And I, I thought you were very diplomatic during the, the, the conversation as well. You know, that series of broadcasts was an amazing creative experience because I didn't script or rehearse any of it. We gathered people together at short notice and you can only do something like this on a, on a, on a you know, public platform like Resonance that is Arts Council funded that gave us total creativity. The only request they made of it was, was that we didn't swear and we didn't swear, <laughs> or at least I don't think we swore, but um, it, 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 it it, not to belittle the men who came on, and I'm grateful to them, but of course they're different. They, their experiences were wildly different from ours. And it's not just about a group of men in the studio. It's about, you know, a whole patriarchal system that sets us up and pits us against each other and sets us up for a failure. Uh, both men and women, I feel now, as we're coming into an, an era where discussions are being had more openly with men as well. But we can only have those discussions with men if they're willing to come to the table. And if they're not, then we continue to have the discussion without them. And that is, you know, always uh, an issue when, when one brings up any discussion around feminism. Um, because unless, you know, all sides, and we're not saying, we're not talking about men and women anymore. We're talking about, you know, a gender neutral space as well, if we like. But we can't have the discussion unless everybody's willing to come to the table. Can I also say that I don't have my PhD from the University of Reading yet? Interestingly, I am having my PhD exhibition at Pineapple Black Gallery in Middlesbrough, which opens on Friday, the 24th of January, um, and hoping to submit shortly afterwards. And I would have submitted this summer, but I got um, a totally unexpected um, breast cancer diagnosis, which seems quite ironic, cruel, <laughs> and uh, well, I don't know what the other word for I just finished chemo, so my brain's not ticking over like it used to. But it seems to do this PhD, to, to carry out a PhD that I critique, the, the, where I critique the, the, the canon of feminism and art history and also looked at other modes and ways of making work that didn't concentrate on the body. My body should sort of like let me down at the end of it and give me this, give me this horrible diagnosis. I breastfed for four years. I'm not the woman that should have had breast cancer. Not that any woman should yeah. have breast cancer. But the, the, the PhD very, very much came out of Enemies of Good Art and all the research that I had been doing at the time, which was primary research where I was talking to women about their experiences. And I think I could have those conversations again and they wouldn't be that different. And to blow my own trumpet just a little bit, nobody was having that conversation until I started that conversation through Enemies of Good Art and all the other women who joined me in the conversation and then Procreate Project and Desperate Art Wives and the Mothership Project in, in Dublin and Cultural Reproducers in Chicago and lots of other things mushroomed up and out of that. 
which can only be a good thing. And it's a great thing. And I hope the conversation doesn't die when we've got enough, you know, when we've had enough time just banging the same drum over and over again. I didn't think I'd still be banging it. And my daughter's nearly 11. And I started it, you know, thinking about it when she was strapped to me at three months. But, you know, there you go. <laughs> I'm still having the conversation with myself. And the artwork has changed and the artwork has sort of evolved out of all of that because primarily I'm still an artist. I wanted to draw back to your artwork, actually, because when I was looking at your earlier work to see kind of the progression that you've made, um, mm. some people talk about this, this drastic shift that you had uh, when you had your daughter. However, I, I, I don't know if that's how you feel about it, but looking no. looking as an outsider in you know you the photo- the photographic work that i um i know from you like turn in and dinner for one the you know these are very domestic scenes mm-hmm. um within this work so it doesn't seem that big a shift to me um mm. but perhaps that's because of where i'm where i'm seeing it i don't know how did it feel for you um well i finished another piece of work after those two you've mentioned called countdown and they were all photographic series of works. I had come out of uh, years of photography education and uh, I left the RCA in 2004. I didn't know my arse and my elbow. I really did not know which way I was going to turn <laughs> creatively. I think we can get away with that word on, on Desperate Art Wives podcast. Yeah. But um, I didn't really, I hadn't really a clear understanding of my practice and I hadn't done what I'd hoped to do. And it wasn't because of the institution, institution sorry, if anything, I was quite starstruck and went to everything that was possible. But um, I was also having, having certain successes at the time. And I wasn't fully engaged in the process of the MA, to be fair. But um, the PhD has managed to untangle an awful lot of that for me. I've always had interest, uh, a strong interest in politics and social concerns. And my first degree was in documentary photography. But I've come full circle, I think. And while photographically I'm working in a different one, still working with photography, installation, and uh, performance now. And I did some video. But what's important is that I found a way of opening up my practice. I didn't want to come out of a medium specific um, or an education in, in, in medium specificity. And I felt that it was a bit constrained. I wanted to make work that included a range of, of possibilities in terms of how one produces work. And uh, the show in the show at Pineapple Black will include installation, but a lot of photography, but projections, there's a huge floor piece. Uh, there's even some video work and there's a performance that'll happen on the night. And those early pieces of work were very much rooted in a sense of being and a particular sense of being and a particular sense of feeling a, a, a degree of isolation as, as somebody who had uh, experienced a profound effect of emigration. And I was an immigrant in the uh, late 90s. Early 90s, sorry. And uh, coming to terms with what that meant, you know, I left a, a white uh, Western country and went to another white English speaking Western country. What could be different? But actually, the, the cultural differences were massive and it took a long time for me to get my head around that and indeed get to know people on a, a particular level. But I feel also that motherhood can do the same sort of thing to you. You know, it's kind of it's, it's, it's almost like a psychological geographical shift that you enter a different sort of like space that doesn't separate you from all the other people around you that don't have children. Absolutely not. I've never felt that separation, but there is a particular loneliness to sort of like getting on with motherhood, particularly in a city like London, which I've had to leave 
because I couldn't do the juggle of single motherhood. I wasn't single to start off with. And that was that was a massive disappointment to me. But to struggle with the city and also struggle with singledom and motherhood was just too big. And so I now live in North Yorkshire where it's all more manageable. And I commute to Bolton for my post um, in the fine art department there. And Bolton University, I'm going to plug them a little bit because they're amazing and they've been amazing through this recent diagnosis. And I started the job just as I was taking on chemotherapy. But they've also um, they've also supported the show in terms of production at Pineapple Black. But to find those posts that fit in with your life as an artist, and I've made enough work now through the PhD to sort of like take on full-time employment. But the juggle of motherhood is still ongoing. The practice, I don't feel, has drastically changed. There hasn't been a major paradigm shift. I'm still dealing with the same issues, but how I do it has slightly altered. And I quite like that change. There's only so many square, aesthetically pleasing photographs <laughs> one can make in her lifetime without feeling the need to move on. <laughs> you... um Definitely. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you definitely talk about your practice being a feminist practice. Um, did you also consider it a feminist practice before Enemies of Good Art? Or is that something that you've, um, that a label, a term that well, you've you, used? Since you, you couldn't talk about feminism when I was coming through BA and, P and MA. The both, like, you could, there was no discussion about feminism or being a feminist until until the Lehman Brothers brought down banks in December 2008, just the week I gave birth, we had, Whoa. you know, we had world recession was about to kick in. And I had a, I had a horrible gut feeling that things were about to get, become very difficult. But you couldn't talk about feminism when I was doing my undergraduate and finished in 98. Nobody wanted it. was a dirty word. Nobody was talking about feminist concerns unless you were embedded in the middle of Birkbeck, which is an amazing institution. Unless you were in the seat of feminist academia or academic feminism, you know, which was still struggling to, you know, to make waves outside its own institution. And then we had world recession yeah. and then everybody woke up, including me, going, WFT, what happens now? <laughs> and <laughs> I'm trying not to swear. But and what happens now? Well and, and, and I did a lot of swearing. But I, I would have always called myself a feminist. But did I have to? Engage with it in the way that I have now, no. But, and do I call, do I call it a feminist practice? Absolutely, I'm a feminist. There's no doubt about that. I'm happy to have the label card carrying feminist all the way. You can label it feminist practice or not, depending on. And will I always make work around uh, maternity and motherhood and my experiences? I think I've got a bit more left in me, but I've always made work about intensely personal, difficult personal experiences. So whether that continues mm -hmm. to relate to, to, to my maternity or not is another thing. I suspect there will always be engagement. I remember somebody asked Mary Kelly if, if work was still about maternity. And she said, well, you know, everything I do, I'm a mother. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't that, <laughs> why wouldn't, to quote Mary Kelly, which is what I said I wouldn't do. But, you know, she is, <laughs> she, she is amazing, fair dues. But so I can't see that there's going to be any great shift between art and life and experience and the exchange between all of those. You are a single mum. You've done Enemies of Good Art. You've been really busy working. You are a fine arts programme leader. Um, you've been having chemotherapy. Um, uh, you've, you've 
fighting breast cancer and you are also doing a PhD. So you have some kind of superwoman in my eyes. Please, could you tell me um, about your PhD, what it is that you're um, that you've been researching? Thank you. That's very complimentary. But I think I'm just getting on with my crap and I don't really feel like I have much of a choice. Um, there's, uh, the PhD was, it is, has been amazing. And, um, I met, uh, Rachel Garfield, who's my supervisor. One of them, John Russell is the other, both at uh, University of Reading. And I met Rachel at Nowhere. Do you remember Nowhere when they were open on Bethnal Green Road? Um, film, Arts, film, experimental arts um, organization run by um, Mirza and Butler. However, I met Rachel. Her practice is, in, is embedded in, in, in video and moving image. And I ranted at her just about everything. And she <laughs> said to me, okay, we, we need to talk. And I also, you know, I, I, I talked about the need and the want and the, the desire to do a PhD because I knew there was something there that I needed to get my teeth into. And also I thought it would be really helpful in terms of unpicking the problematics in my practice. So to cut a long story short, I started the PhD part-time with Rachel and then managed to get funding and um, and then had the pleasure of being funded for three years at Reading. And it's been an incredible experience. But for me, and Rachel has always said this, finding a supervisor that you can connect with that understands where you're coming from, because the relationship is quite an intense one. And, and Rachel and I have formed like an only be described as a beautiful friendship through this PhD, but she has been incredible. And I did say to her one evening, feeling quite emotional, um, that, uh, and this was after the talk of Jacqueline, after the, uh, Jacqueline Rose, um, her recent book on mothers at, um, at Birkbeck. She did a book launch and talk with Amber Jacobs, but she, uh, I said that meeting her, you know, was a moment that I felt like when my life had changed. Because to start the PhD, giving, you know, the difficulties I was not only having in trying to figure out where my practice is going, but actually you know, the difficulties in actually trying to bloody practice, um, given that, you know, if you're unemployed or self-employed, trying to run a, an art practice uh, on thin air is pretty difficult. Um, on top of the feeling that everything you do is, you know, is an obstacle, there's an obstacle in your way because of uh, you know, lack of state-funded childcare, and I can go on and on. But and also the assumptions that you're going to be somehow, you know, useless once you've had children because you're going to be either too dedicated to them or not be able to do it because it's so bloody difficult. But the PhD, that intense period of study was a gift. And it's the best way to describe it, where I got funded to read an awful lot for an intense period of time. And uh, and absolutely amazing. And that time to be able to dedicate to research and understanding what that meant and enjoying it and getting off on it and fighting all those battles that one does with their research and practice. And, you know, those questions about what I was trying to do and how and why. And I didn't actually pin down my research question until it came to my upgrade and uh, that I was forced to really think about what it meant. And it was a bit of a light bulb moment. But also um, looking into the territory of feminism, wondering what was it about that area of research around maternity that I was looking for and reading wide, all sorts of, you know, wonderful texts on, on feminist, you know, art and writing and wondering what I was looking for. But Rachel was pivotal in 
in so much as teaching me about how research works and what to look for, what not to look for, but asking questions and important questions and just questioning everything. And um, I can say out of that, I started to to work at home from my kitchen table. And I had interviewed hundreds of women on resonance, you know, about practice and how they continued to practice. Emma Hart being amazing. Um, Emma Talbot, sorry, talking about how she... She, she'd make, she'd make work at night on a smaller scale when the kids were in bed. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to sit around my table doodling because I'm not a doodler. But, and I wasn't, not suggesting that Emma was doodling. She wasn't, but she was a painter. So she, you know, she could paint small scale. And I was thinking, well, what do you do if you don't have a sketchbook or you don't have a, you know, you don't have a practice that allows you to make work in a small scale? Cause I've been working in dark rooms making huge prints and, you know, very yeah. pleased the fact that I could print. 40 inches by 60 at the RCA, which was wonderful, but wondering how the hell I was going to make work without access to a darkroom. And it sort of began with, you know, my, my phone. Rachel described me as somebody who keeps fiddling with photography and it resonated with me. And I started, <laughs> I really started just making pictures on my phone and all of the work that I'm going to show on Friday. Um, the title of the show is usually she is disappointed. Um, so uh, I, saw, uh, I saw a snippet <laughs> of that um, it, it, with the work that you did in the Czech Republic. Yeah, Prague, that was wonderful. Yes. Well, we titled that usually she is this point. I mean, it was wonderful to get the space. I'm not saying the work was wonderful. It was wonderful to be able to show work on former communist poster sites with Art yeah. World Gallery. And it's still all up on Art World Gallery's website. But But I started fiddling with photography and I started fiddling with audio and I just started enjoying the process of no expectations of fiddling and the PhD and it being funded gave me the time to do that. And it's a total privilege and a gift, like I've said before. And without that, I would have continued to struggle, but I, it would have taken longer. But, you know, I think as an artist, if you're going to be an artist, if it's in your being, if it's, if it runs through your veins, you always find a made a way, a way to make work. Sorry, chemo brain, I'm muddling my words. But it's, it's, there's always a way to make work. And um, Robin Appleton, who's um, also studying her PhD at Reading, she gave me a, a plaque for my fridge. It's, it's a metal plaque. It's black. And in white writing, it says, never, never, never give up. And I keep looking at that bloody thing and it's still on the wall in front of me. <laughs> and I probably will put it to bed once I hand in the PhD. But, you know, the, 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 the camaraderie, the community of other researchers and living on campus for two of those years, being totally embedded in a big campus culture was wonderful. Tina Jenkins is a painter who won the Threadneedle Art Prize a number of years ago. And we're all, you know, all of us, incidentally, mothers, all of us making work, all of us trying to figure it out, all of us researching at the same time and a whole host of other people, John Trainer, Simon Wellams. I was in, I was, I was in a privileged position where I could sit with all these amazing people and discuss and talk art and politics all at the same time. And it was a wonderful, wonderful, treasured experience. That sounds absolutely amazing. I think mm. and now I want to do a PhD. <laughs> <laughs> right institution with the right supervisors, you should do a PhD. Everybody should do it. And it should be funded. And everybody who wants to do a PhD should be able to do a funded PhD. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, this Martina. Movie, I'm afraid. So Martina, your uh, PhD show, Usually She Is Disappointed, is on at Pineapple Black. Um, from January 24th until the end of February. So hopefully lots of the listeners uh, and me, I definitely want to go and, um, and check it out and see what you've got going on there.
And if you do come up this way, do let me know. It's in, it's in Middlesbrough. Thank you so much for sharing all that with us. Well, thank you for inviting me on. Like I said before, it's an absolute pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, thanks so much, Martina. That was Woman Up, the Desperate Art Wives podcast series.